Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. And uh, wow, I'm frozen. Did you forget who you are? I forgot who I was. I'm Mike. From San Diego. We didn't mention it on the last episode, so we got to get it in there. There's Josh. There's Tim. And this is the show. So if you're still listening. (laughs) It's a good one. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We are currently, what is it, Tuesday afternoon. We're downtown Columbus. And uh, we kind of already talked about this in the last episode, but none of us won bags of millions. So that's depressing. I honestly forgot that it existed. I only saw them announce one person, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, somebody's out there. They have all their taste and smell, and they're just filthy rich. And <laughs> I'm over here not either of those things. And yeah, it's very frustrating. Fun fact, winning a lottery is typically bad for your financial health over the long term. I feel like I can handle it. Yeah? You think yeah, so? Yeah, I've dealt with some I think, quite a bit. I, can, I think, I think a lot thing, right? of money is not going to hurt my financial situation. But here's the thing. like Most of the people who say that and are good with their money don't buy lottery tickets. That's what I'm saying. So, so you yeah. know. So that's the problem. Like, yeah, that's I'm going to stop investing. Start buying lottery turn tickets. Turn my portfolio into lottery tickets, right. yeah. My grandmother used to buy lottery tickets. I, I don't know if we talked about this, but I got obsessed with the Dodge Viper when I was a kid. I just thought mm-hmm. that was a cool... Anybody in 1995 or whatever, like mm-hmm. that's a sweet car. And she would play the lottery every time. And she was like, I'll, I'm going to buy you one when I win the lottery. And I remember being like less than someone who could maybe 10, 12 years old. And I was like, why don't you just stop buying lottery tickets and then you can afford to buy me. Right, if you just like that was my logic. Money. I wasn't like giving her a hard time. I was like, logically, grandma, you would, you could buy me a car. She loved it. And I was like, what? Like buy me the car. Uh, I never got the Viper and she uh-huh. never won. So there you go. There you go. Well, I'm going to start crying soon. So if you want to kick us into this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, today on the show, you know, we've got Jason Carpenter joining us. He's the founder, president and CEO of environmental pest management and conversation with Jason was, was pretty, uh, pretty outstanding. I mean, the guy has gone through some crazy experiences throughout his life. Uh, we talk a lot about, I mean, we even talked at one point about some of the crazy situations he's got into. So environmental pest management, they do everything from like bed bugs and insects to termites and small rodents. But uh, that he, is a career I am not made for. So no, I'm really happy that he no. he handles that with as much efficiency I mean, as he, he does. He talks about some seriously crazy scenes. I would just burn into, my house down if it, right. it got infested right. and just start over. But, uh, and he's kind of really managed. He also, they also developed a patented software to kind of help property managers, you know, manage these infestations because it can get kind of crazy because, you, you know, you don't want to, you know, you want really want to make sure if you have bed bugs somewhere that they didn't spread, they haven't gone anywhere. Like, so they needed a system to kind of manage it. And he, they developed that. Uh, and yeah, uh, Josh, anything to add? No, you're killing it, man. You forgot who you are <laughs> and you have nowhere to go at this point. So you just wrap it up for us and we'll let the people decide what well, happened here. Uh, if you want to hear about bed bugs, listen to this episode. Yeah, it'll be a good one for you. And, Hello, uh, I am Mike. This is Conqueror in Columbus. <laughs> Please listen. Goodbye. And with that, we'll go ahead and uh, let you guys move on to the episode. So we'll be right back. <laughs> I think that was the best intro yet. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine 
pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24-7, 365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. As usual, I am your co-host, Mike. We got a full house today with uh, Josh and Tim in the booth. So what's going on, guys? Dude, I was good until I woke up on Tuesday morning of this week and somehow Ohio went back to 32 degrees. Mm. Yeah, we we welcomed the, the third winter. Or the fourth winter, I was. Uh, if I'm you having a hard along, time keeping up. Yeah, yeah. If you follow along on Tim's Instagram. I had, to move, I had to move the meter back yeah, up. Yeah, we moved the meter back up. It's like this funny little thing that goes like, okay, so we've got winter, false spring, second winter, and like it's like another. We're in a, like third or fourth winter. Fake, at this it's point. like another fake sometimes. Spring. Sometimes you need two arrows and right. one day. Yeah, <laughs> the pollening and winter at the same time. Right, right, exactly. But uh, we can talk about weather forever, but instead we'll introduce our guest. And today on the show, we've got Jason Carpenter joining us. And Jason is the founder and president slash CEO of Environmental Pest Management. And Jason has been in the pest management industry for 28 years, and he started EPM out of his basement. And he's responsible for determining the vision, strategic planning, and family succession of the business. He's also worked with Dr. Susan Jones at The Ohio State University on research pertaining to the experimental use of chemicals for termites and bed bugs. And in 2005, Jason created a patent software solution that allows property managers to pinpoint levels of pest infestations. We're really excited to talk with Jason about his journey, EPM, and what the future holds for him and his team. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Jason. All right. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Have you here. Let's so, go. Yeah, let's, let's, do it. let's rock and roll. Well, we'll get right into it then. So one of the first places we typically start is just get a little background on yourself and, and your life leading up to this point. And some people start as far back as childhood, but kind of really what, what are the big highlights along the way for you? Huge highlights. So, uh, where do you want to jump in where I first started or where'd you grow up? Yeah. Columbus, Ohio or Westerville grew up in Westerville. Okay. And then what, what was uh child like siblings and, and what did your parents do? Come from a divorced family, single mom, and one sister were the same age for 10 days. So go figure that out. Um, grew up in Uptown Westerville, Westerville City Schools. And then from there, have various jobs, you know, selling cars, selling shoes, selling whatever you could put in my hands. And then uh, right after high school, no college experience whatsoever. I'm just always selling something. And then I uh, got married and my first wife's father owned a pest control company. So prior to that, I was hustling pool, bartending, and I uh, did that for about four years. That's how I provided for our family. Had a couple kids along the way. And uh, that job did not provide benefits and worked long hours. And her dad said, hey, I think you probably need a job with some stability. And uh, took a little pay cut from gambling and started uh, in the pest control business. So the jump out of high school that was straight into working for you, I mean, that's obviously a, a unique attribute and something that you, you were probably just more driven to start making money than, than lose money and go back for four years. So why did you decide to make that leap? Yeah, so I always knew I had ADD, OCD, and I couldn't really pay attention a lot. And uh, I knew how to sell, obviously, from a young age, from mowing lawns, raking leaves, shoveling snow, newspaper route, whatever you have. I always knew how to do that. And I thought, well, I, I knew that I probably wasn't going to go to college and I needed to stay at one profession and be really, really good at that. So for the first couple of years after high school, I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do and had to have a job, had a couple, had two kids at that time. And, uh, those cost money. Yeah. A lot of money. <laughs> and, um, 
you know, I, her father having a pest control company uh, seemed like it could be a career that I could do and it was stable. And uh, yeah, I thought I'd give it a shot. Can we go back to the the gambling situation? Yeah, let's do it. What were we uh, What were we betting on? Uh, pool specifically. Oh, okay. So yeah, I played. Um, so I used to work at a pool hall, and uh, before my shift, I would come in and practice for about two hours, work all day, stay after, clean the tables, brush you know brush the tables, anything having to do with keeping the the pool room in in check. And uh, as I was working, I saw some money kind of floating around on the table and asked what they were doing, and just kind of got into it from there. You know, then it kind of, you know, with my ADD and OCD just kind of kicked in. I'm like, I think I'd like to get some of that money over there. And, and that's where it began. Yeah. So my only, I've played pool and bars, but my only experience in gambling pool and bars is from movies. So is yeah. it, is it as dangerous as, you know, like, you, yeah, like yeah. Every, every movie that you, you, know, hustle, you somebody, hustle somebody, then, then you get beat up. Exactly. That's the, yeah. 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 So this was a different type of gambling. That was, we call that the bar action, right? The, the, the seven foot tables, guys playing for beers and stuff. This was a little bit different because there was a community that we had addicts really. I mean, guys that were gambling, <laughs> flipping quarters, guys flipping, playing cards. And um, so there was, you know, we had about two or 300 guys that were looking for games. They were looking for action. Really? So we had guys coming in from other pool halls, guys that would come in from out of state and they'd say, hey, you know, I was the house manager. So this was before cell phones. This was in the early, early 90s. So they'd, say, they'd walk in and say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a game. You got anybody? I will make a list, call people. And then I would get a cut for just lining up the games. Mm-hmm. And I'd watch how they play that I could bet on the side. And that's how I first got involved in it. And I thought, well, instead of just, not because I wasn't responsible for the outcome. I thought I'd rather take control and learn how to play pool. So that's how I got into playing pool. You know, and um, if we can talk about the dollar amount, but these weren't $5 games. These were, you know, $100, $200, $500 games, $1,000 sets, $5,000 sets. I mean, that was a lot of money back in the day. So yeah. so did you, did you like, so like, I did played poker for a little while. So did you build up a bankroll and did you have that kind of strategy to it or were you just kind of living life by the edge? I was living life, man. So um, I didn't have a ton of money and Mm -hmm. the guy that owned the billiard room that I worked in, he would generally back me. Mm -hmm. So I didn't take as a big a hit as most of the other guys did. So um, that's generally how it went. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had a few thousand dollars in my pocket, but that was pretty much the extent. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Well, we've we've gotten sidetracked on the billiards and gambling. So. I feel like that's probably going to be one of yeah, the most we interesting parts. Yeah, that. we could we could probably talk for a while about that. But I but. think the art of that was for me it determined you have to work hard, you have to continue to be smart, you have to pick your opponents, you know, wisely. I learned a lot from those years of playing pool of how to size up my competitors and get an edge. And so I think there's a little bit of there's a risk aspect too of understanding sure. how to leverage. Am I good enough to risk this? For the outcome, like with sports betting, I do a lot of sports betting and there's statistics, right? I just st- simply use the math. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but I just trust it. And it taught me in business to, to understand the wager, right? That's mm-hmm. how business, like if I'm going to start this company or new job to weigh the risks, you know, the risk reward, like what, how many rebounds does this person average? You know, how many points they score? You know, you take all the things into account. Mm-hmm. I think there is a really direct correlation there. Like or the flip side of having to make this nine ball for diapers or yeah. for rent yeah. or for formula. Don't I leave mean, yourself an option. Yeah. Yeah. 
scary. But anyways, there's, yeah, I think there's a lot there that I think there is like gambling applies to business more than people would think, but becoming comfortable with that, with that risk, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think a lot of people experience that if you work for mm -hmm. someone else, it's their, their bank, right? Yeah. When it's yours, you have to treat things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. We had a conversation. I'm sorry to hijack this, but <laughs> I was getting a computer purchase for me for a company from another company. And I'd never had that before. And he was like, get the, get the keyboard that matches the color of your computer. And I was like, no, the white one's like $40 cheaper. That's like eight burritos or whatever. And he just started <laughs> laughing, but it, like my brain was wired to, you know, this one will work. Plus I can eat, you know, eight meals. Hmm. So I think there's just like something that never turns off on you. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. enough about gambling. Yeah, no, makes a lot of sense. So where we were at, uh, you get into pest control. What were you doing there? Were you just started at the bottom, started at the bottom, cleaning trucks, um, cleaning up debris, um, getting the uniforms out. Uh, then I got upgraded to going on termite jobs, digging trenches, drilling holes, cementing the holes. Then I was allowed to apply the chemical. Um, then I got my license. Then I went into the residential field, um, did a lot of service calls to homes. And um, from there, got introduced to an early mentor about the selling of pest control. Was very intrigued by that, you know, some of these bigger contracts and learned basically how to sell from a pest control technician standpoint through one of my first early mentors. So you start selling these commercial contracts, maybe they're, they're long-term or are they just like one-off big-time deals? Yeah, so they're recurring revenue contracts. So a building like this, you know, needs repetitive preventive maintenance. So we did a lot of of that back in the day and one-time termite jobs. We sold a lot of those as well. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level and Josh and I could not be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So you kind of work your way from the ground up. You start to learn the business holistically. And then at what point do you decide that to, to jump off and start doing things on your own? Yeah, so I worked uh, for my father-in-law for, or previous father-in-law for about 10 years. Um, we ended up getting a divorce and I worked there another two, three years. Figure that out. And, um, you know, at that time, we had a large apartment complex that we serviced. And this apartment complex had... Um, multiple sites. So it was owned by one management company, but it had six or seven different properties. And we kept notes back then on a, st a, a pad of paper, steno pads. And I was getting frustrated that every time they would call, I'd have to, we didn't have cell phones. So I had to go to the payphone, had a truck, didn't have air conditioning. It was stick, had to wait in line at the phone booth and report back all this information. I thought this is just a terrible, inefficient way to do this. And I kept talking to him about like, hey, there's got to be a better solution on how to do this. He said, no, it's going to cost too much. You know, it's never going to work. They're never going to do it. So I always had that in the back of my mind. And then after the divorce, two, three years into it, um, I thought, you know, this was the most money I was ever going to make. It's making about 50000 This was back in 2001, 2002. Had some benefits, nothing real long term. Am I going to go from being 32 years old to 70? breaking for him, and this is the most it's ever gonna be? Or do I start my own company, take a second mortgage out on my house, trade in my little Jetta VR6, sweet black twin turbo, T oh, that thing was awesome. <laughs> trade that in and say, you know, I think I'm young enough now that if I fail, I can go work for any competitor. 
Because when I got divorced, all the competitors were like, hey, do you need a job? Do you need a job? And so I knew I had value and I had a trade that I could do. Um, or do I just start it on my own and, and see what happens? So that was the mentality. So how do you even begin? Like, like you had no uh, necessarily business creation background or no degree in business or anything. <clears throat> Excuse me. So how do you go about creating that from the ground up? And then what were the first steps that you took? So um, scared out of my mind, number one. Um, but I knew I felt like I had to try it. And uh, I started knocking doors, handing out flyers, the hustle part from, you know, you alluded to earlier from pool, right? And the selling, right? I thought I'm not gonna go out by sitting on the couch. And I went to networking meetings. I went to realtor meetings. I, you know, knocked doors and just, man, I just went at it and asked for referrals. I worked seven days a week and I just did it. And, you know, one just myself for a couple of years, got an admin, got another technician, and it kind of just sort of grew from there until around 2005, 2006, when bedbugs really became on the scene. And that was really a game changer. Yeah. So we had a couple of kids in college who ended up having bedbugs. And I remember once we wrestled in college and uh, I remember one kid showed up to practice and was like, hey, yeah. My entire apartment right now is getting is getting uh, fumigated. Yeah, fumigated right now for for bed bugs. I remember them like having to explain like you shouldn't be here. Right? Like, Why are not, you at practice? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? You you going in a room with uh, thirty other human beings and being in close counters like this is not a bed bug activity. Mm. Um, <laughs> that's why I didn't go to college. And that's, that's how that's they why. spread. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. No. Nope. Don't want that. So bedbugs take off. You you have this infrastructure created. You've you've started to get some momentum with the company. And then you're just saying at that point, it's just like bonkers. You just start hiring like crazy. Yeah. So what happens is I'm at this apartment complex and um, I said, hey, we got bedbugs. I walk in and it's just a disgusting, nasty unit. Bedbugs, floor to ceiling. Tenants were just horrendous. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I can, they're on me right I'm now. I'm shivering. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> this nope. particular property had 10 buildings on the site. Okay. And I, I walked out. I'm like, this is so disgusting. I don't, I don't think I can actually do it. And as I'm walking out, I asked the lady, I'm like, hey, how much was this bid going to go for? She said $30,000. I'm like, I think we're going to do it. I think I got this I one. think I got this. You, you know, know like, and, I, and, I always, and I always said to myself, pay me now and I'm going to figure it out. Right. And that has always been my mentality. So when I got to thinking, I went home, we got the contract, right? I said, give, give me your bid. I'm going to beat it by 10% because <laughs> I just yeah. didn't know. She gave me the job and I went back and this, this property management company had 30 other properties just like that one. So I started doing the math. I'm like, holy crap. I mean, that's a lot of bed bugs, right? And I thought, well, how many other property management companies are like this one? There's hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. And so that's when it really started. I thought, wow. Back then we had the fax machine. The fax machine was filling up. I didn't have the guys. I mean, I'm just running like crazy and getting guys in. And that's when it kind of started to build some of the momentum. How much of a conflict of interest is there when when you're on site? I mean, you, you would never do this, but in my head, I'm thinking if I want to build some business and I got a can of bed bugs, I might be I was thinking the same thing, dude. I might be <laughs> Send them a package and be like, whoa. Yeah. There was so much work out there. It, it wasn't even needed. Right. Yeah. I mean, imagine like, so bed bugs. So it was an were, epidemic at that yeah, point. Yeah. They were, yeah. they were spreading around like crazy. Like the bed bug epidemic was really bad. Have they got that under control at this point? Yeah. So 38% of my revenues today are still from bed bugs. Now, having said that, we're the largest property management provider in the state of Ohio. So we manage close to 400,000 units annually. That's my niche is apartment multifamily. That's, that's what we do for a living. Um, 
the reason why we do that is in our sweet spot is because I had invented. <laughs> I'm still thinking it's about still that bugs. I'm shivering and itchy. Yeah, we man. had invented a proprietary software that allows our property managers to pinpoint levels of infestation using our software. And that's when these apartment management companies started to seek us out. They need the documentation so that if they ever get sued, they need to be able to go back and say, hey, we treated this unit, this unit, and that unit. And, you know, it was a liability for them. Mm -hmm. And they were still doing it by hand. So we took it, kind of sort of changed the way they would do business. You know, a technician will come in, get a service order, go out and do it. And, and there was this big, huge paper trail. And with us, they pulled up the computer, the iPad, they pushed in the button. Our guys go in, log in the work, take pictures, take videos. And this story lives inside that work order, right? And so we're able to have a conversation around a table like this and say, hey, these are the issues that are prohibiting us from getting control in this unit. And now it's a conversation instead of them saying, hey, what's going on at this unit? Mm -hmm. And that's really when we started to get property management company A, B, C, you know, and it just it went on from there. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So as you went through that growth pass and you look at the the highs and lows of that, obviously you knew how to identify new business and you kind of find your niche and the tailwinds were in your favor, but the other aspects of the business have to be constructed and keep running too. So what was it as you went through that process that sticks out and, and, and what was the most difficult and, and, and what was easiest? Mm, great question. The management of all those work orders, first of all. Secondly, the bookkeeping portion of it, because there were so many invoices. It's not like we're selling a computer here and you sell 20 computers in a day. I mean, we had hundreds and hundreds of invoices. So the, the data, the bookkeeping, the entry, the follow-up was a big deal. Um, certainly employees, right? 2008, 2009, 2010, we had the recession. So we had one client that was into us for about 150,000 and 100,000 of that was probably 90 days to 120 days past due. So we had, that was my first big, you know, butt on the line mm -hmm. of not being able to get paid, right? And some shifting around of money, got into some IRS debt, you know, they're knocking on the front door. I'm leaving out the back door, coming around the front <laughs> door with a check. I mean, I was literally probably three days from being shut down. Mm -hmm. CPA calls me and says, look, the IRS are calling. We got to get this straightened out. And I broke down in his office and I cried. I'm like, dude, I need help. I've got the money and receivables, but I couldn't get anybody to pay. Mm -hmm. And so he jumped in. We got a tax attorney. We straightened it out. I'm clear with the IRS. But um, that was a huge struggle that, um, yeah, that, that was tough. I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, the, the thing that trips people up is cash flow. Sure. Because you think, well, I did this job for $30,000. It cost me 20, so I made 10. But that 90 to 120 day waiting period, you're just out the 20, yeah. <laughs> you know? Net term, and, net terms are so tough. Yeah. We learned that the hard way in fashion stores will order a bunch from you and demand delivery dates. And then net, net 30 turns into net 60 mm -hmm. and then 90, then you got to chase after it. And you know, you got one account out. And then if you want to expand, you have five stores, 10 stores, and then they all on net terms, you have to float all that money. And then back at that time it was, Hey, I'm just going to send you a bill and you can just send me a check. That was the norm. Mm -hmm. And then the recession changed everything. It was pay me now credit card on file, or we're not going to do work for you. Yeah. But at that time, I also said, 
they were the biggest egg in my basket. I'm like, I will never have one customer dominate that much cash flow. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge surge from had 10 property management clients to over 200. Mm -hmm. Right. And now they can come because they would dominate and say, Hey, we've got 10,000 units. I'm like, yeah, we'll take you. And I'm like, they come at me now. I'm like, dude, I've got 400,000. I think you should be with us. Mm -hmm. If you want our best rates, the guys that get the best rates are the guys that prepay up front or have a credit card on file. So love to have you, right? But you got to pay up front. Right. So were, were all these different complexes and new business coming to you or were you building a team that would go out and prospect or were you still selling yourself? It was me. So I went from 2006 to 2014, right around in there. That's when I had my first bout with cancer. So I was still out there running them down, getting up. I said, hey, I just, you know, that motto of never one guy will dominate me again. And I know I wanted a certain number in my head of units, but I felt like it was okay that I could kind of step back. And then the recurring revenue model just kept coming in and kept coming in and kept coming in. And so I sought him out. Um, I made a list of all the guys that I wanted to contact. And uh, so I've got about 80% of them. There's still a couple guys out there that we haven't gotten in front of. And then we finally hired our first salesperson around 16, 17, and started letting them chase down some of the leads for sure. And the competitive intensity is it starting to pick up at this point and you guys are just still winning deals? We dominate that market. Like we've got 80% of the market here in central Ohio. They've been with us for so long. They're used to, like I said, we've changed the way that they do service and pest control. It's almost like giving them an iPhone and taking it away and giving them a Nextel or a walkie. They, hmm. You know, they don't know how to go backwards from the way that we do it. Mm -hmm. And again, it's the liability for these property management owners. Some of them are section eight, CMHA or HUD, where a part of their requirement is to have this documentation because they'll lose that certification if they're not prepared to justify, you know, the pest control. Right. So what's the team size in, in 08 and 09? Six, seven. So still pretty lean. Yeah. And then growing to, I mean, let's, we don't want to fast forward too much. But let's just look at 2021. Where are we at today? Uh, today we're at 43. So as you looked at those hires, did you start to look at the business and say, these are the areas that I either am not as passionate about or I'm less competent in and just put people in those places? Or how did you, how did you prioritize the hiring throughout that process? So I wanted to back up to about 2010. I met my uh, wife today, Karen, and she's our chief operations officer. So I could still be out in the field. And then my wife, Karen, was in the office, right? Managing all those receivables, answering the phone calls, getting the guy set up. And as we were growing from 2010, 11, 12, 13, still picking up property management clients. And then I was alluded to earlier that I got um, cancer. It was at that point that I realized I, this place needs to run without me being here. And the conversation, what if I die? How does this go? There's still bills to be paid. How is she going to be taken care of afterwards? And it, excuse me, got me thinking of, you know, what's my purpose? What's my vision? What am I doing here? What are we building? Where does this end? How much money do I need? And then I got um, turned on to a mentor that really changed my life, George Babiak, who we were talking about earlier before the mm -hmm. show. And he said, you know, what are you doing here? What is your legacy? and really got me thinking and I had to do a lot of soul searching there to figure out what was the end game and what pieces do we need to be put in place to get to this goal, right? And for me, it's how much money do I want at what age, right? So we're crystal clear on our, on our numbers, right? And we're crystal clear on how we're gonna get there daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, one to three, three to five, five to 10 and 18, I'm 50. So our plan is till the age of 68. 
So we're very, very specific. Everybody knows their roles and their responsibilities and their part in there. But so we had to know what that plan was first and then kind of come in from the back end there. So to the extent you're comfortable talking about it, um, you mentioned that you're running this business. It's growing quickly. You're really passionate about it. Uh, you met, were you, were you married at the point that you said you got diagnosed? No. So we met in 2010 and actually I had dated her in junior high school. We'd always known each other. So after my divorce and after her divorce, we move into a neighborhood and we're five doors down from each other. But I think on Facebook, she was stalking me, or at least that's my, my story. Hmm. And she wasn't doing anything. And she said, why don't I try to collect some of that money that people owe you? I thought, well, that seems like a, a good thing. I'll take you off on that. And then just kind of started from there. We were still in the basement of the house at that point. And we didn't move into our first office until 2014, right around in there. And then when you get diagnosed, like what, what was that impact on your life? Did you- yeah, so um, you know, I had melanoma um, stage one on my chest and I thought, you know, no big deal. We're going to go in, scrape it out. It's no big thing. Um, go up to the Cleveland Clinic and um, trying to minimize it in my head. It's going to be in and out, no big deal. And you get into the surgery room and there's all these surgeons and anesthesiologists and everybody's there. And I thought, oh, wow, this is this whole room was completely white with these big screens and a whole team. And they ended up taking out, I don't know, size of a, a good plum, right, in my mm-hmm. chest and four lymph nodes in my armpit. And as I was recovering, I thought, wow, that's scary, you know, I'm, o- I'm okay now and haven't had any scares since. That was the start of the questioning, right? I thought, well, I'm good. Got that taken care of, no big deal. It's melanoma. On the one year anniversary of that, I have thyroid cancer. And I thought, WTF, what? what is really going on? How long do I have to live? You know, it's just those things just really ran rampant through my mind. And then so with the thyroid, that's probably a fairly common type of cancer, right? Because they're typically taking those out and like it's related to Hashimoto's and things like that. Is that correct? So yeah, they did take my full thyroid out. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you have to do the iodine pill? Yes, we did the iodine, no radiation. Mm -hmm. So we were good on radiation, but um, you start to think, am I something wrong with me? You know, am I going to live forever? And what do those things do? And it just made me think part of the recovery for me was to write down all the business procedures and and practices on how we run this business so that if my wife did need to sell it, if you're going to buy a pest control company, this is what you're buying. So I wrote an EPM playbook, how do you run our business? And I wrote uh, a technician manual of how technicians do their job. And that made me start the process of building this to run without me here. So how do you answer the phone? Where do you park the truck? What do you say when um, an, an internet lead comes in? What's the process, right? And it's how you run my business without me mm-hmm. being there. So do we not need our thyroids then? Or if they could just take there's it medication. out? medication. So there's, my mom yeah. had thyroid cancer too. Really? Right, right, right. Because I know there's a couple other things like uh, appendix and stuff like that, that they're... Yeah, so I think... What, what, what I guess it, my question... It all needs yeah. regulated, right? Mm-hmm. So... I'm on 125 milligrams of synthroid. So, yep. gotcha. So you ha- you have to continue. To yeah, yeah, continue. Yeah. To like, your thyroid affects your metabolism and a couple other things. So they, you can feel if you're not on the synthroid, like my mom, if she, they, they'll mess with her. Yep. Levels the every once in a while. Yeah. The so they're like, oh, your T levels are a little high, so we're gonna take you down. And my mom hates it when they do that because it always messes with her really? for like a few months. Yeah, I'm also on Lexapro too. So my wife says, "You taking your medication? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're being a little crazy." I'm like, "Ah, it's probably my synthroid." <laughs> we had to like actually like stay away from my mom for like two weeks when she did the iodine yeah. thing because there is like it's not like radiation, but it is like it is a little bit. Wow. So they had like we had to go take a vacation without my mom while she stayed at the house. Radioactive. And, Damn. Yeah, she was radioactive. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Do you have cancer and we're going to go on vacation with Right. Well, but it, it, luckily thyroid cancer is, 
if they catch you early, very high survival rate, survivable yeah. rate. Was there, was there anything in business that you felt from that? Like you said, you kind of realized what's, you know, getting your house in order, but did that, did that like change your goals at all or kind of, you know, make you- After coming back through that, that's when I got introduced to, to George Babiak and mm-hmm. he said, you know, what are you doing here? You know, and at that time we had a good lifestyle business, you know, making a little bit of money and nice little house, nice little car. And he said, you know, what are we really trying to accomplish here at EPM? And what's the vision? And I couldn't answer that. And it took me about six months to really focus and get down to what are we trying to accomplish. So from that, we came out with a a clear vision of to be consistent and delivering an exceptional experience. And then from that, we built a strategic plan. But once I got that line out and once I said it, the whole plan was just very, 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 very easy. What about for you as an individual? Um, did, Did you reflect at that moment? and say, hey, what do I actually want for my life? Is it to build a massive business and for my my name to live on through the company? Is it to build wealth for generations to come? A little bit of both. So first and foremost, to be consistent, delivering an exceptional experience. And so I said, if I had a hundred, you know, if I closed my eyes and said, what do I want this company to look like in 20 years? Mm-hmm. I thought if I could have a hundred Jasons out there at Mr. and Mrs. Smith's house or a property management company, what would we say? How would we do it? And if I could duplicate that process over and over and over again, I'd be more than elated of what I had accomplished for my time here, you know, on earth, right? And we thought, well, okay, let's start there. And then with the foundational pillars, the growth pillars, the partners, the resources, and all the metrics that we have put in place that we thought that we could achieve that. And that was part one. Part two was legacy and that we wanted And the third part is uh, second generation wealth is what we're really trying to get to. Provided the kids do what they're supposed to (laughs) when they're supposed to, which is another podcast, right? Right. Because we have two grown children in the business now. Uh, My 28-year-old son, Brandon, is our general manager. And our 26-year-old is our new business development manager. So... And then I have a daughter who's just graduating from Columbus School for Girls who would like to be our CFO when our CFO retires. She's going to go to Ohio State, so. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, like, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. So the business today, taking a snapshot and then looking forward to the future. I mean, you have this, you have the vision mapped out. You have uh, the plans pretty granular on how to get there. What does it look like moving forward? What do you think the biggest obstacles are into you guys achieving those goals? People, without a doubt. Um, just came from uh, earlier today, a uh, CEO peer group forum. Um, this one is family business orientated. So the only thing you have to have in common is you have to be the owner in a family business. And without getting into detail, because it's confidential, but we talked about people was our, our biggest hurdle right now. And you got this COVID thing happening with the government giving these guys money and they don't want to work. And it's just, it's just some really weird, you know, people quitting for no reason or their reasons are irrational. And, you know, it's just, it's a really odd time, but that's not just with me. It's with, it's a consensus of, 
I'm in a couple of different business groups, but consensus of, of, of a lot of my peers. So people without a doubt. To finding and retaining the talent? Yes. So do you see that changing? Is it, do you think COVID is, is the major hurdle there? I, I don't think COVID is the hurdle. I think so in our particular uh, plan and our foundational pillars, we have standard operating procedures is the highest priority, right? How do we kill the bug? What do we say? Where do we park the truck, right? Two, three, and four about people. Employee development, recruitment, and retention. So we have people's jobs that are responsible for making sure each one of those line items are done in a metric form so that they can have those items crossed off. So we're consistently looking at those, making you know ideas or suggestions of how to change it, making sure that our comp plan is above and beyond what everybody else is offering. How is our development plan coming along? Big thing we did recently, a little bit off subject, we changed the way that when we onboard someone, instead of doing it by you know old school textbook, we made everything digital. Mm-hmm. We made everything actually video. So you know, to, to consistently look at that on a regular basis and make sure that it's crossed off and going forward with a plan, I think is key for us. But filling those seats to make sure that those people own those metrics or those boards is probably, I see the in the next three to five years probably being the most critical. Makes a lot of sense, Jason. So. Kind of a good place to head towards some of our last questions of the show. And the first one would be, do you have any advice for our listeners? And, and with that in mind, our listeners are typically in the 25, 35 range in Ohio area, but we've got everybody up and down the spectrum, but mostly central Ohioans. Yeah. So I say the first part is if they're listening, listen, right? Listen to the guys that have been around the block, the guys that have done it. Don't be afraid to ask questions. So if there's someone that you respect or admire, just want to ask them questions. I mean, there's, I'd love when you call it, I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. I'd love to share what I've done. If I can say something that would prohibit you from the pain that I've experienced, I'm more than happy to tell you, right? Mm-hmm. would love. I mean, that's part of my personal mission too, right? If someone asks for help, I'm supposed to help with my experience that I've learned. Last part is, is the mentorship. I've had great, great experience with mentorship, not just anyone, someone specifically in an industry, so I'm service, right? Service related. So I had a Mark Swepston with Atlas Butler, I just left him at my meeting today. Um, it's been a great, great guy. Nothing to do with pest control, but we're both selling service, right? Awesome, awesome thing. So those two, I'd say, you know, they're listening today. That's a great first step. Um, but don't be afraid to, to seek out and, and get experience from others, for sure. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza or anything. I don't think so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hypec. I mean, I go there all the time. Their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep. That's what I was going to say. As soon as we had him on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out. And it was the best. We're talking about the restaurant, but Hypec's a lot more than just a restaurant. They distill whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently. And I really like this Midnight Cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine. And it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. 
If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, the story behind the organization is great too. So yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which I joined. Mm -hmm. And if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee. And then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events right now. They're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far. That's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant somewhere to watch the game, if you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I promise you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. Jason, our last question of the show, center around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And that tell you too much about why we chose that particular theme. What do you think of when you hear it? And how does it apply to your life and career? Great question. I saw that on the, on the agenda outline and I, and I thought about it. So my mentality is I want to get in there. I'm going to be the first guy to dive off the diving board first. I want to get in, get my feet wet. To have that mentality, there needs to be some vulnerability, some being authentic, right? And you have to be very open and very trusting to the people that are in your circle, right? I'm not talking about Mrs. Smith out checking the mail, talking about the weather and the sports and the dog and all that stuff. I'm talking about sharing an experience with someone that, you know, you're in debt to the IRS and their days from closing, you're down. I'm talking about just cheating on your spouse. I'm talking about, you know, customers not paying you. I'm talking about racial discrimination inside your company. Those ideas or topics that you can't have with, I hate to say regular people, and it sounds awful, but people that don't have businesses that may not understand the same struggles that other guy, uh, other people do that own businesses. So now I have a, a story, if I could, my wife and I were struggling like crazy, you know, fight both a type, right? And she's just, you know, we got this power struggle because I'm more visionary, strategic, nine miles down the road and she's in there day to day to day. And, you know, we're just banging heads and we needed some help. So we went to, I thought we needed a business coach show up. I'm like, look, Katie Sprague was her name. And I said, look, Katie, if you can't fix my wife, we are going to have a huge issue. You've got to fix my wife. She was like, tell you what, I'll fix your wife. I'm like, done. She's like, I'll fix your wife if you promise to go to therapy. I'm like, for how long? She goes, three months. I'm like, that's a deal. I go there once a week for a year, right? Yeah. And so what I realized there was it, it wasn't, obviously it wasn't my wife, but that <laughs> takes you know the part of, being authentic and what mm -hmm. are you prepared to do to make this thing work? One, I needed to save my marriage, but two, I know I couldn't achieve my overall goal if we didn't get on the same page, right? And that's something that about being vulnerable or about willing to go to the extra mile of deep down figuring out why you are the way you are. And I, I it's um, from my own experience, I don't know if many people are willing to, to go to that great or even maybe admit it to themselves to, to the extent, I mean, that's that's gotta be a hard thing to come to reality with, right? That it isn't somebody else and it's yourself. Oh, I, oh I, what started was that we did a leadership assessment and I took the test, you know what, I'm a shitty leader. I'm controlling, well, let me take it back. I was controlling, <laughs> dominating, driven, but all those uh, qualities well, was what needed to take the company from zero million to a million, but mm -hmm. it's not gonna be the same characteristics to go from one to 30, it's just not. And they did my wife's assessment, perfect leader, people person, gets along well with other. I'm like, hmm. And so what I had to do is I had to work on those opposites of my drivers, right? And I didn't know how to do that. I only knew how to make payroll, 
get the job. I, I didn't know the people part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's why we work so well together because she's got that down. I got this down. We don't want to get in anybody's bucket. And that's why it works so well for us today. That makes a lot of sense, Jason. And uh, it's been great talking with you today. We really appreciate you coming on the show to share your story and talk about EPM. Thanks, ma'am. Yeah. And uh, Conquerors, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that interview. If you want to hear more just like it, you can go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever app you're listening on. You'll get interviews just like this one right into your ears every week. Appreciate you tuning in and we'll talk to you next week. Next week.